staying into work. The subject was what we were going to have for dinner. I offered to barbecue, and she said, I don't feel like meat. I laugh about that sometimes. I don't imagine it's a pretty sight. I said, We could go out. She said, I was out last night. I wasn't. Why don't we just have pasta? I said, I had pasta last night. She looked at her watch. I'm going to be late. Whatever. She blew me a kiss and walked out, swinging her racket and her fine behind. I tried to work. I have everything I need to work at home. The tranquility of a child-free household in a gracious neighbourhood, a study which gets the afternoon sun, a squat PC which hums with latent power, a wall of reference books. Everything except the will. I go into the study, close the door and muck about. The only thing that can keep me in there for more than half an hour at a time is getting lost in a maze of pornography while roaming the internet. A doubly unproductive exercise, given that the boys I teach hardly need my help to get their gelled and bepimpled heads around that subject. That weekend I had the excuse of a cold. A pretty good excuse it was too. I had a sore throat, a headache, and a constant flow of oily olive mucus, which meant that I couldn't leave home without a stack of handkerchiefs. On my way out for a coffee, I went to the handkerchief drawer, but my wife had got there before me. She'd been sniffling and dribbling for a few days, and had no time for those pointless, lacy scraps with which women are supposed to cope with everything their noses throw at them. I didn't make a habit of going through my wife's pockets, but this was an emergency. These days, only urchins and senior citizen street people can get away with wiping their noses on their sleeves. The hip pocket of a pair of Dolce Gabbana trousers gave up an unmarked white linen handkerchief and a folded piece of paper. I suppose some men, some prissy souls, would have put the piece of paper back where they found it and gone sniffing and hawking on their way. It never occurred to me to do that. We had, after all, been married for fifteen years. We were on record as claiming that we didn't keep secrets from each other, a boast which, now that I come to think of it, usually met with scepticism. So, for no other reason than casual curiosity, I unfolded the piece of paper. The period of my life that I think of as B.C. was about to end, as were a few other things. It was a note, handwritten. My darling Anne, you are out of this world. I can't wait till next time. It was signed, if you can call it that, J-X-X-X. Nothing too enigmatic about that, I think you'd agree. Not a text which was open to a barrage of jostling interpretations... Needless to say, I couldn't call on such sardonic resilience at the time. To begin with, I went into denial. It didn't make sense. This darling Anne couldn't be my darling Anne. There had to be some explanation. Bizarre, perhaps. Discomforting, maybe. Anything but the catastrophe those words signified at face value. Our marriage had stood the test of time. We were better at it than most. Many of our married friends were on their second, and some of them still hadn't got the hang of it. 
and we were more than just quietly fond of each other, as couples with sturdy, convenient marriages can be. We loved each other. We said so regularly. Maybe I said so more often than she did, but there wasn't much in it. Look, I don't mind admitting that I wasn't the greatest catch. There were those in my wife's circle who'd failed to see the attraction 15 years ago, so God knows what recent acquaintances made of us. Certainly, if professional status and remuneration were their criteria, they'd have to conclude that she'd married down. She'd long since swerved confidently into the fast lane, while I've putted along a dreary back road these days, used only by the timid and the unworldly, my heart no longer in the journey, but too far gone to turn back. I defy anyone in that position not to have the odd spasm of insecurity. I sometimes fished for reassurance.